If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch, rushing! Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. You've heard it once, you've heard it many a time. We have a catcher renaissance coming, and it starts with the prospects. Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball today on Thursday, October 20th. Frank Sample joined by Scott White and Chris Welsh. Chris Welsh. I don't know why I just said your name like that. Christopher. Hello, everybody. I'm Christopher. That is him. (laughs) He is the Welsh. We've got a fun show planned for you today. Top five. Actually, no. Top ten catcher prospects in Dynasty. I asked the Welsh for his top five prospects. He did me one better. Actually, I guess he did me five better. He's like, no, you know what? I'm going to give you a ten. I'm going to give you my top ten catcher prospects. So we're going to go through those. We you probably have, could have given you a top twenty-five catcher prospects. How, could have. How, don't you? Don't you like maintain a top five hundred? I, I have a top five hundred, and I can tell you, I'm looking at it right now. My top five hundred actually goes twenty-eight catchers deep in uh, the top five hundred, and I've got a bunch of other names. I literally would just gave you a couple extras just in case you wanted to pick and choose but hey top 10 i'm down to do it like you said catcher renaissance is here and the special thing the very unique thing for everybody to think about when we talk about them is not just the catcher renaissance but it is a position of players that are moving and spreading out to other positions so t- sometimes the value to these guys is also attached to their bat where it can move and play other spots in the field so they can play more than 125, 130 games. These young catchers also are not primed. Even if their bat is live, they're not necessarily primed to be like full-time DHs. So the great catchers are still, nowadays with the DH, is going to get 140, 150 games, theoretically, like the JT Ramutos. But uh, everybody else has a little bit time to work towards it, unless, you know, they can play another position, which many are. And you guys could talk to this better than I can, but it, it feels like this might be the best or maybe maybe not best but the most athletic group of catchers 
maybe we've ever seen catcher eligible players. So you guys can discuss that a little bit later on. Obviously, you've been playing fantasy a little bit longer than I have, uh, uh, but we will get to those prospects. We've got names to know for redraft leagues next year. You know, maybe in two catcher leagues, so some redraft prospects to know for 2023. We'll have a dynasty buy low and sell high at the position from each of these gents. And of course, we will get some Arizona Fall League updates. Got some great clips once again from the Welsh that we will deliver to you later on in the show. Before we get into it, just some playoff updates. We're doing this uh, Wednesday night. You'll hear it Thursday morning if you are listening on demand. And the Yankees just lost, so they are down <laughs> one zip. I, we were talking before the show. It's like, I don't know what to do with myself in October because I'm a huge Knicks fan, obviously huge Yankees fan, and like those two things are usually just terrible this time of year. Like The Yankees don't win in October, and the Knicks are the Knicks. So that's that's where I'm at right now. Uh, and on the other side, the NLCS, it's off to a nice start. I mean, the Phillies won game one. Padres had a nice bounce back in game two. Scott, I feel like you should talk. We're three minutes in. You haven't really said anything. I will point out, before the I'm show... I'm just enjoying the show, Frank. <laughs> you, you said that there is a scenario where you might be rooting for the Yankees if they make it to the World Series. Uh, oh, <laughs> you made this public? Oh, yes. oh Frank is dirty. <laughs> you you want to go live with this, huh? Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, what I was saying is I've never before rooted for the Yankees in my entire life, but... Considering, <laughs> considering the NLCS is between the fifth and sixth best teams from the NL, like the baseball purist in me will have a really hard time rooting for whoever advances, whether it's to face the Yankees or the Astros, that a, a, another team that people might have uh, might find hard to root for. And so I'm not going to commit to that. But gosh, the idea of the Padres who I mean, we're kind of written off for dead in like mid-September, right? Like it looked like they were barely hanging on to a playoff spot to begin with. And the Phillies, the third place team in a division with 200 game winners. I mean, just like it just wouldn't fit the story of the season for either of those teams to win. Because like nobody envisioned them being the championship that being the champion at any point. So I don't know. I have a hard time with it. No, nothing against Phillies fans or Padres <laughs> fans. I'll feel mm-hmm. good for you uh, if you win, but it'll, it'll, it'll just eat at me. Something about it'll just eat away at me. Oh, Scott, I can see the comments now, the YouTube comments, the Phillies fans, the Padres fans, they are coming for you. You just, uh, yep. you just made I your know. bed. Now you got to sleep in it, buddy. I'm sorry about that. Anyway, let's well, get you, into, you put me in that position. Frank. <laughs> I'm sorry. You, you, did. Just you made it public. <laughs> I told, I told Scott too, off, uh, before we started up, I was like, it's very roto take too, of kind of being like, ah, these teams, I don't know. This is, this doesn't feel right. I'm like, it's very roto of you to feel like you need the very, very best at the top, but I get it. It is, a, it is a hundred percent a big, Baseball purist take, and I think you understand that. But whew, you rooting for the Yankees, <laughs> Scott? Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know what? I, pro- I probably just won't watch, to be honest. I don't. I don't want to be the only <laughs> hated person on this podcast. So uh, if I'm going down, I'm taking Scott <laughs> with me. Let's jump into the top ten catcher prospects for the Welsh, and of course, these are for dynasty leagues. And in just a little bit, we'll focus a little bit more on the proximity prospects, which uh, might be able to help you out next season as well. Before we actually get into it, Welsh, I know you maintain like a huge list of prospects. Let everyone yeah. know where they can find that. Oh, yeah. Over at uh, InThisLeague.com, it's just a Patreon that I curate 
do lots of prospect stuff. I'm obviously in a big prospect mode right now. Uh, the update has been uh, a little bit overdue, and the update is hopefully coming uh, this week. Just the big 500 update. Many prospect rank people have kind of given their end of season update. I haven't. But also, it's like when you do prospect ranks, you're never happy, and I'm never content with it. And also, I've really intertwined myself with the Arizona Fall League, and that is kind of taking a precedent in my brain. So I'm going to just release it, and it's probably going to get released on Friday, the brand new update. And then we'll come back in November because I'm seeing lots of guys out here in the Fall League. As a matter of fact, one of the guys on this list on both the Redraft and the Dynasty is here. And that kind of just makes it all. So in this league.com, people can check it out. I do a Dynasty list. I do top 500. I also do early redraft ranks, all of that will be out there. All right, so let's start with the top five. We'll give one through five, and then I'll give you six, two, uh, six through ten after that. And up top is, no surprise, Francisco Alvarez of the Mets, Diego Cartaya of the Dodgers, Tyler Soderstrom of the A's, Henry Davis of the Pirates, and Harry Ford of the Mariners. Let's focus on the names that are a little bit further away first here, Welsh. Talk to me about Diego Cartaya with the Dodgers, uh, Tyler Soderstrom of the A's, one of those names who I, I think might either move off catcher or be some kind of hybrid catcher, first base, DH kind of player. And Harry Ford, who also kind of fits that mold. I was looking into his fielding splits this past year. 54 games at catcher, 49 at DH. So uh, talk to me about those three. Cartaya, Soderstrom, Harry Ford. Yeah, and I think, uh, I do want to point out, like, Alvarez is kind of a little bit in a tier in his own. You know, and it's goofy how I have this as well, even more that I look at it. Like, seeing Henry Davis in person, he's the guy that is out here in the Arizona Fall League, and he is a major league built player. Now, there's a couple players that you come out here and you start to see. And Henry Davis, as you can see, uh, Frank, if you're watching this live, uh, has this video up. And this is just a video I really liked. He had thrown some dirt on the ground, got up, absolutely crushed this. Some wind kind of came in and took it just a little bit, but he would, they lost it in the sun. He was able to get a double. And uh, this is a live bat guy with a great arm. He can run. He's run since he's at Louisville. This is a pure, pure major league player, and you don't usually see that all the time. He is closer than the guys I have in between, but the guys I have close in between are more about the big offensive potential. Diego Cartaya, the Dodgers absolutely love. He just turned 21 years old this year. He got up to high A, hit 22 homers. Batting average struggled a little bit. This is a guy that can also play in the outfield. He's played in the outfield at the very lower levels of complex. Um, and the bat, I think, is absolutely for real. And they uh, covet him. They covet him. Tyler Soderstrom is the one you were referring to most likely doesn't end up as a catcher. Uh, he wants to be a catcher. I've, I've actually I was in an autograph signing with him. A friend of mine owns a company, and I got to sit in and listen to Tyler talk. And he's a very competitive guy, and he wants to be a catcher. But he's played first base. He's played the outfield. And he might be some of the biggest power. He had 29 homers with 105 RBI this year. Got all the way up to AAA. He's 20 years old. He has not hit... Uh, 21. He's not going to do it until November. And that bat is huge. Batting average struggled a little bit. He's got a fix. And then coming into the last one, Harry Ford. Well, wait, wait. Is, before you move on to Ford, yeah, not yeah. to interrupt your flow here, I just wanted to comment on Tyler Soderstrom. He, I, I'm going to put together my my own catcher prospect rankings later in the offseason. It's just, you know, my offseason workflow. That's just something I tend to do more in November. Um, but he will not be in it. Because he actually played this Tyler Soderstrom I'm talking about. They, he actually appeared at first base more than catcher yeah. this past year. So his position designation on CBS is going to change to first base. I'll, I'll treat him like a first base prospect. Mm. Doesn't mean he'll never qualify a catcher in fantasy. Uh, but I don't, 
Like if you're rooting for him to develop into the catcher, and it's questionable whether you should. I mean, it might, you know, he might be better off. Um, there's reason to believe as a dynasty asset, if you if you can hit, you're actually better off doing it at a position other than catcher. Uh, but I don't think it's a good sign for his future at catcher if he's already playing more games at another position because like if, if you're bad at catcher, you need to play it a lot to learn it, right? So I, I don't know that the A's are really going to give him that chance either, yeah. The, the one thing I would throw in there is um, I've heard some stuff that Sean Murphy's going to go. Sean Murphy's going to go off of the A's this year and he's going to be traded and Shea Langoliers gives him some of that availability. I view Tyler Soderstrom similar to how I view Dalton Varsho. And that Varsho is more of a primary outfielder, but he gets enough catcher eligibility that he's going to keep rocking with that for a little bit. Tyler Soderstrom, I believe, will do similar. Um, This team obviously is moving young. They push Tyler Soderstrom through. Is he ready to be a catcher? No, probably not. He has a lot to work through, but can they use him in that role 20 to 25 games during the year instead of you know carrying a I, I love Stephen Vogt but a Stephen Vogt light type of player where they don't actually have any offensive output no I think that's something it could do so I know some plays I know Tout did that um, with some positions where it's like if a guy I actually had this whole issue with Jose Miranda and Tout where Tout had a position eligibility I claimed him and then I got dinged because it's like well, don't believe what Tout uh, has him positioned at. I'm like, well, no, I should care. Honoroto should have it correct. They didn't. And I got dinged because he had played primary at one position. I gave, put my hands up. I'm like, whatever, guys. You guys do whatever you want. You guys, your site has him at one thing. Now you're telling me he's another after I picked him up. Okie doke. So I understand that that can happen and that will happen in CBS that will affect his value. But you're going to have um, a disagreement across the board that I think like a Yahoo is going to have him at catcher. They're going to be lazy about it, not look into it. Fan tracks will probably give him multi-position eligibility and he will in many places hold it until he's proven that he can't. And that'll be an advantage, but it won't happen here at CBS. So I do agree that he is the least likely of all these players to end up at catcher and he will not be a primary catcher moving forward, but he's got the ability to stick there and he's got some of the biggest, craziest offensive power tools. And you can see that by hitting 29 homers in 134 games and he moved three levels. You know, you move... You're a 20-year-old and you move all the way from high A to triple A. That says a lot. And it says a lot about how the team feels about him. So Soderstrom is interesting. And then another thing about him is, you know, you pointed out the batting average. There were some issues there. From May 1st on, Soderstrom hit 283. And we saw this, you know, we talked about this at the major league level a ton, just how bad every hitter was in April because it was kind of cold and, you know, the effect of the humidor and whatnot. Uh, I don't even know. The humidor wasn't. They, they haven't. They haven't installed humidors at all the minor league parks. I'm sure. No, so but that, they that did wasn't have... even an issue. But I noticed this among minor league hitters too. Is like a lot of really high end prospects had terrible Aprils, and Soderstrom yeah. was one of them. Yeah, and they they actually did have a ball change, I believe, from AAA. AAA they were using the major league ball, I think, and lower they weren't. They weren't. But one thing about Soderstrom to add to that is he improved. Like Matt Mervis, we've talked about before, he improved at every level. Two sixty at high A. He hit 278 at double A and hit 297 at triple A. That type of progression coming off of like a bad winter, progressing at every single level you go. He's not 21 years old. They're going to find a way to get him in the lineup. And that, and he's going to be one of the catalysts why a guy like Sean Murphy could get traded in the offseason because they'll get him up there maybe sooner rather than later. Will he primarily play another position? Probably. And then just on the young guys, just to wrap the young guys up, Harry Ford is. Um, 
it's utterly fascinating because he is probably the most athletic of all these guys. Still 23 bases, hit 11 homers and around 400 at bats. Can he stay? They have worked him primary there since he's been here. I was at his major league debut um, out here in Peoria and in Surprise. He has been a catcher. He's worked a catcher uh, during spring training. He worked with all of the catchers. That's not going to go away, but this is another one of those guys. When I go and look at like how bad Adam Frazier has been and what they wanted from him, a guy like Harry Ford could transition into the infield and you could take that bat that has some serious stolen bases. But the bottom line is, is like you have all pretty good hitters and You've either got elite power coming from Kartaya and Soderstrom and then Harry Ford, who I kind of clump all of those guys together in the same general range. Harry Ford is the bet more on the stolen bases and maybe hitting higher in an order for more runs. Maybe you're missing RBI. So those are all uniquely talented young catchers that might be a little bit further away, though Soderstrom might be closer than we think. All right. So again, one through five in the Welsh's catcher prospect rankings, Francisco Alvarez, Diego Cartaya, Tyler Soderstrom, Henry Davis, and Harry Ford. Six through 10, we have Kevin Parada of the New York Mets, who was just drafted this past year, 11th overall in the 2022 draft. Austin Wells with the Yankees, Logan Ohapi with the Angels, Gabriel Moreno with the Blue Jays, and Andy Rodriguez with the Pirates. I want to start there, actually, number 10 on this list. And Scott, I'll throw this one your way. I feel like we did a fantasy baseball today in five podcast. And he was one of your just like five on the periphery, right? Just like keep this guy in the back of your mind because he's like showing mm-hmm. out right now. Very yep. unique player this past season, 323 batting average, 25 homers, a 997 OPS across three different levels. He only got in six games at double a, but he played 75 games at catcher 16 at DH 18 at second base, three at first and 13 in the outfield. So this is just another one of those names, Scott, where he's super athletic. He could play all over the field. And if you're worried about his long-term value because of a Henry Davis maybe getting in the way, I don't think that's that's going to be a problem for Andy Rodriguez. Yeah, it's interesting that we're seeing more players like this at catcher. It's, it's always been treated as a position um, that has such a high threshold to meet defensively that it requires this intense focus almost as much as pitching to develop there. And yet we're seeing, you know, Dalton Varsho split his time in the outfield, actually primarily play outfield, but also get some time at catcher. MJ Melendez splitting his time in the outfield. Uh, And I think, I think Andy Rodriguez is going to be another one of those Varsho like, and he's athletic enough to play everywhere. You mentioned, infield I don't think it'd be a stretch for him to play the outfield at all really interesting prospect and one who you know I'd seen his name before I'd seen him among prospects but I never really looked at him that closely he kind of just came on my radar late during the season uh with ridiculous production at double a especially but as a hitter you know, it kind of checks every box. He controls the strike zone well. He elevates well to get to the power that he has. He's a switch hitter. So, you know, you don't have to worry about him falling into some kind of platoon the way Varsho sort of is for the Diamondbacks. Uh, really interesting player. I, I could understand ranking him higher than 10th even, not that not that I criticize ranking him 10th. It's it's kind of a hard group to rank. That, that, that speaks to the amount of talent there is at the 
at catcher in the minors right now. Well, talk to me about Kevin Parada, who was drafted 11th overall in this year's draft. He's 21 years old. He was a college bat, played at Georgia Tech. He's someone I know you like quite a bit, but people probably don't know much about him yet considering he was just drafted. So what are your thoughts on Kevin yeah. Parada? And where would you maybe target him in a first-year player draft? So Kevin Prada was one of just the best college hitters uh, last year. He ended up hitting 361 in 2022, had 26 homers. He almost walked more than he struck out. In 300 plate appearances, he struck out only 32 times at Georgia Tech, walking 30. He also can steal some bases. Um, he's been a highly touted prospect since he got there and just been one of the best hitters in college baseball through, I think in 2000, when he was 19 years old, yeah, he hit 318 where the power didn't quite show up and he was able to move from, you know, his freshman year into the sophomore year by lowering the strikeouts, which he lowered um, from 41 to 32 and his power went through the roof. He's just a phenomenal, phenomenal contact hitter. So I really like him. He played a little bit of rookie ball, a little bit of a ball. He hit around 270 at both points. I don't really care. I don't think much about a ball and what these guys do. There's going to be a completely different full season front, but he is a franchise based catcher who also has some stolen base um, ability, which I'm always looking for anytime really at this point, anytime you can get any of these guys that are going to chip in five, six, seven, ten, we should be paying attention. If you can find the elite guys, anytime you can find out of position, stolen bases, you kind of jump at it. That was one of the biggest, it didn't really necessarily work out, but like he, Brian Hayes was such a exciting prospect because he showed raw power and also could get you stolen bases at third base. Now that's changed a little bit with like Ramirez and Bobby Witt, but um, Kevin Prada definitely near the top of that list as far as catchers go. And as far as first year, and, and also I would throw out because I know you'd be like, Oh my God, there's two Mets on here. Francisco Alvarez is going to be a DH. That's a guy that has the potential to lose catcher eligibility, except I think a lot of teams are moving in this direction where you carry two two catchers that get the job done. And if you can find a guy like a Francisco Alvarez, which can be a primary DH for, let's call it 110 games, and then you can throw him in at catcher 25, 30, something like that, then that's great. While it allows a guy like Kevin Prada in the future to be the guy, he can be the primary catcher and then you can just work in and you get these bats in here. So that's why that's happening. As far as Kevin Prada goes, I've got Kevin Parada, I believe I'm looking here. I've got him at eight on my first year player. It actually just made a move before we uh, did all of this. Zach Neto is a player I really like that I had jumped over him. But Kevin Parada is a first rounder. He's a top 10 pick. Pick and choose. You know, if maybe you got a whole bunch of catchers. And you don't want to jump into it. I get it. But I really do believe that um, this bat is live. And this is like a 25 plus homer high batting average catcher that you can get. I just do think he might lack the offensive upside that if Alvarez wasn't there, because I really think Alvarez is going to be uh, monopolizing the DH position. So that maybe limits him a tiny bit to just stick a little bit more catcher. But yeah, you know, if they want, take Prada out on days where Alvarez catches and maybe Prada can DH, but uh, it's a really great bat. Well, so I think you hit it on the head too. Th this seems like the progression of roster flexibility in Major League Baseball is instead of having to just catcher uh, to roster a second catcher who's just like a defensive name, whatever, you just have another player who's either your DH or can play in the outfield or first base like a Soderstrom or Harry Ford or Francisco Alvarez. And then that's also your backup catcher. But, you know, it, it allows you to do more things uh, flexibility wise. Yeah. yeah Major let League me roster. I don't know if either of you can answer this. 
the the Otani rule. Remember, an exception was made for Shohei Otani so that he could move from pitcher to DH mid-game to keep his bat in the lineup. Because it used to be, if your DH was replaced, you'd just lose the DH spot for the rest of the game, right? So I think in the... I don't know. Does that apply to catchers too? I Because I, I know, historically speaking, teams were reluctant to play their backup catcher at DH because they didn't want to have you know catchers get hurt so often. They didn't want that DH to have to move to catcher mid-game and they forfeit the DH spot for the rest of the game. Like, is that a non-issue anymore because that Otani rule? Or do, or do you guys know? I don't know. I feel question. like I should. Know. That's a great question. No, no I, I, I don't know either. So, okay. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. That's useful. Yeah, yeah, sorry, but no, but you're bringing up a really great point. Um, yeah. One thing I wanted to add to this conversation as well is just something they're doing out here in the Arizona Fall League. I don't know if I mentioned it here, but it's what is also going to change the value of catching and how organizations are going to like hone in. Because you could look at guys, you'd be like, man, this dude can hit, but he has no defensive ability. Well, in the Arizona Fall League, they've uh, been testing the instant replay system. And again, I don't remember if I've said this before, I apologize, but they have a full-on instant replay system where anybody, the catcher or the hitter at any moment, and there's probably a cap on it, they just haven't announced it, can call for a replay. And instantly, they step back, the announcer goes, the following pitch is being challenged. And it goes up on the screen and then you see the track man stuff and you see the ball and bam. What I'm getting at is framing is so much less important for catchers now because it's becoming automated full on. So it's like it doesn't matter if you go and you have a catcher who's going to frame a pitch. The hitter can call for an instant replay. They can check it and the call can be reversed. So that's one thing that's being taken away from what is needed in a catcher nowadays. So what is needed? You want an arm. And you want the ability to um, stop pass balls. I mean, that's really it. Like calling a game is calling a game. Maybe there's catchers that are going to know their pitchers better and just smarter about it. But you got to avoid pass balls, and you've really, um, you know, you've got to be able to throw out some runners. So that's a big focus. I think pop times are a little bit more of a focus on catchers. Uh, but the bat, the bat's got to live because it's one thing you can kind of take away. It's actually something I heard from scouts about Gabriel Moreno they picked on was his framing. They're like, oh, not a great framer. You know, the guy has a great contact bat. He hasn't had power, but they're like, he really can't frame. I don't know if it matters as much anymore. It really doesn't because you've got this automated system that is coming and is literally being tested here. The amount of times I've seen it in the fall league is astonishing. And that will take away some of that human element of a catcher being able to pull a ball into a strike and fool the ump. So, so you think they are close to adopting automated strike zone in the majors. I do. I mean, everything I've been going to the Arizona fall league, like hardcore since 2016 and everything that has been um, tested out there. Maybe it's taken a year or maybe it's taken three or four years has ended up coming into implementation. You know, they've tested out different baseballs. They've tested out the clock, you know, the, the timer, I've the timer is being used today. What do they have in the Arizona fall league right now? The big old fat bases. They're not allowing shifts. They're doing the, the replay clock. Yeah, I mean, it, that is what it is here for. It is a testing ground of close to major league talent with major league coaches and focus that it's a place that it doesn't count like the major leagues. Spring training is a mess. It's the perfect destination. So, yeah, I really do believe yeah. um, the implementation is coming very soon. And I have seen it firsthand on the screen, how it works. And I didn't know what was going on the first time it happened. But it's pretty successful. And we've seen both sides work out for it. And they've got a it's, pretty good system down. 
All By right. the way, I looked up this Otani rule. I think it only applies to pitchers. So basically just Otani, a pitcher who's hitting for himself, can move to DH mid-game. Um, so I presume if a team had to start a catcher at DH and moved him to catcher mid-game, they'd still lose the DH spot. Though I don't remember anything like that. Like, did it, any pitcher get in at bat this year? Like, can you even, does it even make sense no. to lose the DH when pitchers never bat anymore? No. I'll bet uh, you guys weird. like Granky and Bumgarner tried to get in, but uh, they didn't. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's something we do have to research more, but uh, I I think it's something that they need to think about because especially with this new generation of catchers coming, I, I think it makes sense. I think teams are going to want to yeah. kind of use that roster flexibility to their advantage. Quickly, let's run through some of the catcher prospects to know for next season redraft leagues, and let's keep it to like less than a minute per player here, and we'll start off with Francisco Alvarez, who uh, did get to the majors this year. He played five games at the end of the season. Now, James McCann still signed for two more years with the New York Mets. Welsh, we'll start with you. Do you think Alvarez starts the season next year with the Mets? Um, ooh, I'm going to say yes, I do, and I think they're going to as long as the surgery goes correctly and they get enough work with him, I do believe that they're going to look at this, uh, at Francisco Alvarez as the DH and they're going to be a primary DH and I'll give him an opportunity to, you know, again, maybe once a week, twice, maybe once a week to start twice a week in the mid season to get some catching going on. But I do believe he'll be a primary DH, obviously pending what the team decides to do throughout the off season. But I would remind one of the reasons why would they want to do that? If he wins Rookie of the Year and he starts the the, the very beginning, you got a first round uh, pick coming back with some Mets could use. And there are draft pick uh, incentives even beyond that. Like if you place, I don't I don't even know the specifics exactly, but top three yep. and MVP voting, like different awards voting over the first few years of that player's career. But he has to have been up from the start of his rookie yeah. season. And, and it's top three. If you are a top, it's, it's weird. Like it's with like baseball America or pipeline or whatever. If you're a top 100 prospect and you started from day one and you finish in the top three of rookie voting, there's different tiers of pick compensation that you get. So you still can yeah. be one of three teams in the NL can get a pick. Why would you not think, Hey, we're going to put Al- Alvarez's bat at DH every day and a little bit of catcher. And if the Mets win, Bam, there you go. It makes all the sense in the world. So, yeah, I believe uh, it couldn't, it, it's obviously it could not happen, but I think it makes a ton of sense with giving him the little bit of taste and the surgery in the offseason that he'll be the DH. Yeah, you mentioned the surgery there, and bad job by me because I, I should have brought it up sooner that Francisco Alvarez recently underwent surgery on his right ankle to address cartilage damage he suffered in late August. At the time, we thought his season was over, and then boom, he was up with the Mets, and it was kind of surprising. But uh, hopefully, you're right. <laughs> I would love to. I thought he was going to be here. I, yeah. I was almost assured he was going to be here in the Arizona Fall League and, you know, just getting some uh, at-bats, maybe DHing out here, maybe playing a game uh, or two at catcher. But, you know, they put him up to the majors and then, bam, surgery. Take the knife. Let's move over to the Yankees. From the Mets to the Yankees, Austin Wells, who hit 277 with 20 homers, 16 steals, and an 897 OPS this past season. He's kind of Dalton Varsho-y, but he has not reached AAA yet. Uh, Kyle Higashioka, arbitration eligible on the Yankees roster through 2024. Jose Trevino, arbitration eligible through 2025. Even with that, Scott, I don't think either catcher will block Wells once the Yankees think that he is ready for the majors. Well, is he a guy who they're going to trust behind the plate on a regular basis? Um, Not necessarily, but I think he kind of fits into the same kind of mold. I think he could... 
Well, they do have a lot yeah. of DH eligible players, I guess. But like, <laughs> right. he could DH they a like little bit. The he DH can... time, right? You know, the only thing I want to add to this because this is Scott's turn. But I, uh, I did talk to Austin Wells last year. If anyone remembers, you can check it on Prospect One. It's the weirdest interview I've ever done with uh, any player. He was just weird, and it was odd. <laughs> I've done a couple weird ones. Uh, Alec Bohm was one. He was very odd. He like a, he like flies on his face and wouldn't move them, and he had this very dry <laughs> sense of humor. But that, uh, beside the point, the one thing I asked him was had and this i know this was a year ago but um was he here and had the yankees talked about any other positional stuff was he going to play anything else out here maybe first maybe outfield and he said he told me the yankees have never asked him to play any other position but catcher and this was going into the arizona fall league last year and that pretty much played into uh this year all right scott so (laughs) do you think i I think he could be up whenever he's ready whether that's mid-season late season whatever it might be yeah, I mean, there's a good chance of that. He's old enough. He's you know already got an extensive time at Double A. Anybody who checks those boxes, I think, is in the mix for a call up the following year. Uh, he's definitely a bat first prospect, but it's you know it's a good bat power. Uh, gets on base a lot. I think uh, I think it wouldn't be at all surprising to see him contributing by mid season. Logan O'Hoppy with the Angels came over in a trade from the Phillies uh, around the trade deadline, and he had a great season as well. We spoke about him on Tuesday's podcast. He hit 283, a 416 on base percentage, 26 homers, 960 OPS. He also played five games at the end of the season. Max Stassi also signed through 2024 for the Angels. Welsh, same question. Do you think we see O'Hoppy up to start the season with the Angels? Yeah, and I got to tell you, um, it is a outside of Francisco Alvarez, my other like five that I gave you, they're all kind of clumped because I think there's a very, very, very easy argument to say Logan Ohapi is number two on this list because yeah. he got a little bit more primary time and I think he makes the roster. And I would relent that if I were just thinking about my production now, I would probably rather go with Ohapi right off the shoot than I would Austin Wells. But I think Austin Wells' fantasy production will be bigger so that you want to monitor them. So at this moment, I'm going with Wells over him. But Ohapi, we get into spring training, I probably pick him because, yeah, I absolutely believe so. I love this guy. This is another one of those guys I was around in the fall league last year with the Phillies. Uh, 26 homers. He can steal a little bit. I really don't think that's going to be majorly in play when he gets to the majors. But that bat and that contact and that beautiful swing that he has has, he's going to hit homers. The problem is, is like you said with with Stassi, he's going to be blocked a little bit. So I just don't know how Hoppy's going to get like full full time uh, catching gig here. And I don't know how much the Angels are going to kind of wait around for any problems to happen. But I do believe that like looking at this list, like if I if I were comparing Logan Hoppy to Austin Wells breaking the roster, I would nine out of nine times, ten out of ten, eleven out of eleven, go with Logan Hoppy to break camp with the team than I would Austin Wells. Precisely because of the um, the draft pick incentives that we broke down a minute ago, I, I feel like any team... Well, I mean, we saw a lot more prospects introduced in September where they couldn't lose that rookie eligibility but still get their feet wet for the next year, make kind of audition for next year. So I suspect any prospect we saw in September, even if it was just that last week in the case of Alvarez and Ohapi, uh, I expect them to make the roster. And one major advantage Ohapi has no defensive concerns for him. Like he is a, he is a defensive standout. So, uh, you know, in, in addition to putting up those huge numbers in the minors, being a total on base freak, probably an upgrade behind the plate too. Yeah. I was just looking at Stassi's, uh, stat cast defensive metrics, 42nd percentile in framing, 
13th. I couldn't even see it. It was so low. 13th percentile <laughs> pop time for Stassi. So he's a complete drain in terms of offense. Yeah, why not go with Logan Ohapi if he's uh, better in both aspects? Henry Davis, we spoke about him a little bit earlier. The first overall pick last season in 2021. This past year, he hit 264 with 10 homers, 9 steals in just 59 games. He did get 31 of those in at AA. I know he's out in the Arizona Fall League. We showed a highlight of that. He's 5 for 20 with 4 doubles and 2 steals. Uh, Scott, do you think that we will see Henry Davis at some point next season? Well, he had a really difficult transition to AA, and I was actually curious what what the Welsh thought of that. From uh, what, what side? Do you want to talk offense or defensive transition? I, well... <laughs> I mean, Henry Davis is another one of those catcher prospects who there's some doubt about his ability to remain a catcher. So defense is, I'm sure, is still in question for him. But just he got off to a ridiculous start at high class A, and it's like, wow, this guy's living up to the number one overall pedigree. And then it just kind of collapsed at double A. And I feel like I feel like it took a lot of the um I feel like he lost some luster in, in the prospect. You saw him slide behind other catcher yeah. prospects in the rankings because of that. You're seeing it here too. Um, I will admit the the contact is not where I wanted to be. Him and I was, um, oh man, there's a game a couple nights ago. I saw surprise two straight days and it was the night game. They had 10 straight strikeout or not 10 straight, but 10 strikeouts to uh, Connor Thomas, who was a starting pitcher at the time. And him and Gonzalez were just getting eaten up. And I saw Henry Davis doing this again. He had two straight strikeouts the next day where they were being no hit. They were no hit through six, I think six or seven innings and it ended up getting broken up and then they put a whole bunch of runs on. That's where that double came into play. But Davis is super aggressive, and I don't know what that is. Nick Gonzalez has been super aggressive, and I don't like it. When they have a good swing, the connection is great. They are so, especially Nick Gonzalez, is hyper aggressive than I've ever seen. But Davis is swinging at outside sliders like nobody's business. He is not reading those whatsoever, which I always hate to see from a catcher. But he's got pure raw power. He can run a bit. I think he is a team leader. I think he calls a good game. He's been calling all the... um, no shock, the Pittsburgh Pirates pitchers out here, Quinn Priester, Tanaj Thomas, and he's got probably one of the best arms out here. So the problem is the bat's not live right now, and I do, I do think that puts him in question. I think he's a really slow start. I think he's a uh, one of the smarter baseball players out there, but I think he's an incredibly slow start that's going to take time. So this does put in question how quick Pirates are not an aggressive team with their prospects. So how quick will it take him to adjust in? He will start at least at double A. I think with the triple A time, he or I'm sorry, with the Arizona Fall League time, he could start at triple A. And if they really want to be aggressive with the pick compensation, like we talked about, they might throw him in. But um, wow. I'm going to still lean in because this is like bull raw power. I love I do love the swing when he makes contact. And I think he makes an impact on all sides of the field. It's just when it's bad, it's really bad. And uh, he's a slow start. I I wish he wasn't. (laughs) Henry Davis has lost some of his luster. I think the same thing could be said for Gabriel Moreno of the Blue Jays, who hit 315 this past season in the minors, which is three home runs and 806 OPS. Did play 25 games with the Blue Jays as well, where he hit 319, but only one homer. Really good plate discipline, 11% strikeout rate. You like to see that. Hits the ball on the ground a lot. Plus, the team has Danny Jansen and Alejandro Kirk. So, uh, Wells, talk to me. Like, how much luster has Gabriel Moreno lost? What do we do here? Because they have other catchers, and, like, I have question marks about the power, too. It's There's a lot going on here. 
Yeah, I'll acknowledge there's some guys I left off of this top five list that could make impact this year. Bo Naylor, probably the number one, having a 2020 season. You also could look at Yanir Diaz, who got a little bit of time with the Astros. I think there's a conversation about block throughout that. You know, I I agree with everything you said, and what it's going to take for Gabriel Moreno is one of those guys to be traded or for him to be traded because the Blue Jays did have a lot of question about that framing. I still think he's got an incredible bat and his patience is something I likened last year when he was in the fall league. He reminded me of Vlad where he did in in that he would only swing at his pitch. And you don't see that a lot from a lot of these guys. All these guys are free swinging. Hey, we're out here in Arizona. Give me my fastball and go. He was bat on his shoulder and you were only seeing him swing at strikes. He was not swinging outside the strike zone. And that turned into a disaster this year because the power completely disappeared. He was coming off of injury last year. I'm hopeful that we are going to get a resurgence of Gabriel Moreno because I think his offense is way better than we saw. In 2019, he hit 12 homers in 82 games. Power dipped a little bit last year, but only played 37 games, and he still hit eight. I think what we saw offensively was more of an anomaly, but this is a mixture. I would relent to say like maybe Bo Naylor is a better pick but in my overall, the overall grand scheme of it, I think selling off of Gabriel Moreno right now is not a play that I want to do. And I'm not sold that like all the guys below him are exponentially better, especially the ones that are closer to the majors. Yanir Diaz is cool. Bo Naylor has a great offensive upside. If he plays catcher much, I would put in question since day one in complex, he's played other positions. Um, but, you know, if he gets eligibility, he gets eligibility. So I think it's a big old mushy group of not bad. There's a bunch of fun guys in here, but they're all kind of sitting in the same general range. Moreno has the best pedigree of them, though. I uh, I have a hard time knowing what to make of Gabriel Moreno exactly, because yes, Frank, he appears to have lost his luster for fantasy rankers specifically. Baseball America, in its latest top 100 update, which was probably no later, no no late, no earlier, um, it probably came out at some point in August. Mm-hmm. They still have Moreno third overall. They still have him as the top catcher and the third overall prospect. And... Yes, he does seem to have really good contact skills, but to hit four home runs total this past year? And, like, could he be a victim of the new ball? Because this year was the first year that was incorporated throughout the minor leagues, right? And we saw a lot of these fringy power guys, their home run production just drop off. And and maybe Moreno is a minor league example of that, in which case he may be more like Kebert Ruiz than... You know, That's the stud comp. catcher That's prospect. a really, really good comp, by the way, I want to throw out because Kiebert was one of those guys who was an immaculate batting average player early on in the minors. Then he played his I'm going to adjust to hit for power game. And that took a lot off of his um, off of his batting average and it took him time it, to adjust. Moreno hasn't sense, done that yet. Though. Like it, it made yeah. sense for Ruiz to do that in this, like the, the whole fly ball revolution because of the juiced ball. It made sense for those fringe power guys to just put it in the air and you'll end up with 20 homers just yep. by the, the way the ball carries. And, and I think, you know, we're, we're, we're adjusting to the post juice ball world and, a guy like Moreno, who I would have just said, okay, like really good, just kind of natural hitting ability. He'll figure out the power. Like I'm not so I'm not so optimistic about that now with with players like him, with prospects like him. All right, I think it's a, I think it's a genuine concern. A few other prospects I did want to mention quickly for next season who could make an impact. Shea Langoliers, we saw towards the end of the season, he played 24 games with the A's. 
Probably expect a low batting average, lots of strikeouts, but the power is legit for him. Yanier Diaz, who the Welsh mentioned a few times, he's with the Astros. Monster season, 306 batting average, 25 homers, and OPS approaching 900. Both Martin Maldonado and Christian Vasquez are free agents for the Astros, so I'm pretty interested in Diaz as well. Uh, Bo Naylor is the younger brother of Josh Naylor, also in the Guardians organization. He went 2020 last year and uh, did play like five or six games towards the end of the season for the Guardians. And I'm hoping that we can get Luis Campusano an opportunity with the Padres, but I feel like we've been saying this for years, and Austin Nola and Jorge Alfaro are both still arbitration eligible through next season, so maybe they trade one of those guys in the offseason to create some space for Campusano. I think there's a real bat there, but they've never really given him an opportunity, so... uh, I don't know. Maybe they feel differently about Luis Campusano. Before we hit the break, just want to remind those watching us live or on demand, please hit the like button, subscribe to the channel, drop a comment if you haven't already. For those listening, please help us out with a five-star rating and review on Apple or Spotify, wherever you listen. Uh, And we do have first base next week. We'll look at Scott's early 2023 ranks, and then we'll transition into prospects as well. If you have a mailbag question, send it in. Fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Let's take a break and we'll hit the news and notes here on Fantasy Baseball Today. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. As you'd expect on October 20th, there's not really much going on, but I like these little end of season press conferences we get from GMs and they just reveal like, oh, our whole team was playing hurt and here's what's going to happen in the offseason. So (laughs) I have a bunch of those updates for the Mariners. Julio Rodriguez finished the season playing through a fractured fingertip and he should be ready for spring training. Didn't really affect his production all that much, so... He's good. He's he's really good. Mariners reliever Andres Munoz will undergo foot surgery in the offseason. We know that the Mariners typically kind of go bullpen by committee, but uh, he looks like he could be the next man up for the closer gig with the Mariners. Not that Paul Seawald is going anywhere. I just think Munoz might be better. Jesse Winker underwent knee surgery last week and is also scheduled for neck surgery at some point this offseason. Have you guys ever seen the movie Bubble Boy? I mean... That's Jesse Winker, right? Like, put this guy in a bubble. Like, he's dealt with injuries every step of the way, every year in the majors. 
and now he's having two surgeries this offseason. Appar- apparently not vibing well in the clubhouse either. Uh, that's what I was yeah. about to say. Unfortunately, I think they want to put him in a bubble and then kick it off the cliff, which I think happened to Bubble <laughs> Boy as well, because apparently all the stuff out there is Jesse Winker has no work ethic. Because essentially what they beat around the bush saying, Ryan right. D- uh, Divish uh, is a great Padres reporter. And there had been uh, a couple different radio hits and podcast hits where he had openly said, like, I just don't think the team likes him. That he would he would acknowledge that like Mitch Hanniger is the epitome of working out and uh, over preparing, and he said Winker is the opposite. And the team is sick of the antics. He Jeez. wouldn't train. He was kind of a guy that he felt like would would just come. Now this is like third second second third hand knowledge and stuff like that. But I don't know. And I'm, I'm not sure uh, Winker is going to be doing anything much more with the Mariners moving forward. All right, non-Mariners news: Jose Ramirez is scheduled to undergo surgery on his right hand in the coming weeks. Scott, remember in like August at some point we said, wow, you know, Jose Ramirez has really slowed down the past month or two. Well, it turns out that injury he suffered back in June to his hand was a very legitimate injury that he needs surgery on in the offseason. So uh, explains why he slowed down, should be ready for spring training and a likely look. I had him as I had him as my number two overall player going into next year, even before finding this out. But now it's like, gimme, gimme. Yes, let's do it. Tristan Casas has been hobbled by knee soreness while playing in the Dominican League. So if we get any updates on that, we will let you know. Obviously, uh, Casas, someone that Scotty likes quite a bit, still heading into next season. We are, hmm, we've got quite a little bit left to go here. I want to get to some Arizona Fall League stuff. So Dynasty buy low and sell high at catcher. You know, catcher's kind of a weird position in Dynasty. I don't know how many people are trying to acquire catchers, but for the sake of this exercise, Scott, we'll start with you. Uh, Give me a package deal here. Someone you could see maybe buying low on in this format, in that format, uh, in this position, and maybe someone you try to sell high. Hmm. Okay, I wrote down three names for each, so I will pick one. Don't take mine. <laughs> Don't you take mine. <laughs> go first. Go first, because okay. I might end up taking I'll yours. just be really quick with mine, because I agree. Like I don't know how much discussion this needs. But. There's probably a multitude of names. Actually, I almost wanted to say like I have another one that I didn't want to <laughs> take from you. Uh, it might be MJ Melendez if you could buy because of the shift being taken away. But um, the buy I would jump on right now is Tyler Stevenson, who suffered a bunch of injuries last year. Um, you know, the the homers were going to come through. I think it was 50 games. He hit six. A strikeout rate wasn't anything too crazy. Hit 319. Babbitt was a little bit overinflated. But Tyler Stevenson is absolutely a high batting average player. Regardless of the Babbitt being a high, this is a dude that can hit 280 in the majors, will step into 20 homers. He's going to hit a, in a good spot in the lineup because the Reds in general. And the injury has taken his just uh, prospect status or just catcher status way off. I think he's a great buy uh, by low. And a sell high would be Cal Raleigh because the batting average, uh, I just don't like. I don't love 211 regardless of 27 homers. I got that with Mike Zanino four years ago. I don't need it again. So I would sell Cal Raleigh to anyone that's buying because of, hey, close to 30 homers from a catcher. I don't like those albatrosses at batting average. So that would be, if, if I could sell Cal Raleigh for Tyler Stevenson in a dynasty or anything like that, I would absolutely do that. Uh, I know you mentioned so quickly. See. Go ahead, Scott. You did, was, was you, I, I did I did have Stevenson as one of those three buys, and Raleigh <laughs> is one of those sells. So. Oh, there we go. go. We're on the same track, baby. Well, so yes. I know you quickly mentioned MJ Melendez because of the shift, and I saw this great tweet from Chris Clegg, who we've actually had here on the podcast, I think last offseason, and he pointed out that MJ Melendez had the biggest difference in his yep. BABIP 
while being shifted versus non-shift. It was like a 209 point difference. So yes, we could see a potential rise in batting average. Not that I, I think he's going to be a great batting average contributor, but you know, maybe it's 240, 250, and that definitely makes a difference. Scott, yes, sir. a buy yeah. low, sell high in Dynasty at catcher. Melendez was another one of my two buy lows. So <laughs> let's, let's go. go. We're all on the same page, baby. So the last one I will feature is... Uh, Going to cost more than Stevenson and and uh, Melendez will, but I, I still think Alejandro Kirk is a buy low as far as I'm concerned. And a lot of it has to do, you know, if, if that wouldn't have been the case in June when he was going off, but he was so rough. He had such a rough second half, had about 240, I think just two home runs in the entire second half. And I think that's not actually him. I think... You look at his combination of how hard he impacts the ball and how frequently he impacts the ball. It's just rare to find a player at any position who hits the ball that hard and hits it with that kind of contact rate. And he's only 23. So come on. The, the Blue Jays clearly value his bat. He was their primary DH. Still going to play enough catcher to, to sustain the eligibility there. And I think there's I think there's a good chance that, you know, at some point down the line, we're going to think of him as the top overall catcher in fantasy. So uh now might be your last chance to get him for any sort of discount. All right, those are some names to buy low and sell high at the catch. Oh, do I get a do I get a sell high too? Yeah, go ahead, throw it in there. Oh. JT Real Muto. Yeah, I, now I now like now is your last chance to get a big return for him in Dynasty. Just looking at his age and and yeah. how poorly catchers age in general, his his strong second half I think gives you one last chance to capitalize. I wouldn't be surprised if he finishes as like the top three catcher again next year. But, you know, as we move it, further yeah. into the 30s, like it could fall off like that. So, right. I, I mean, he's my number one yeah. catcher going into next year, but we're talking right. dynasty context. For like, sure. Yeah. You, you got to cat, like, un- unless you're, you know, really all in for the title this year, capitalize now. All right. Let's move into the Arizona Fall League. Obviously, our guy, the Welsh, is out there scouting some players. He's watching the games live. Uh, an in depth scouting report on the rule changes that could be coming in the <laughs> yeah. next couple of seasons uh, at the MLB level as well. I realized, Scott, you uh, you gave me an awesome uh, addition to this like little soundbite that I made for the Welsh, which, if we're being honest, is not great. Uh, so I will <laughs> I will update this eventually with the with the. I think, I think it was like a Simpsons reference that you sent over. But anyway, let's jump into some AFL updates with the Welsh. That's terrible, 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 terrible. Don't you want to look at the Grand Canyon? All right, the Grand Canyon is being kicked off here with Matt Mervis and Hessen Kierstad. Those are the two names I wanted to highlight here. Music to Scott's ears. I know he's a big fan of Matt Mervis for next season, the Cubs' first base prospect. But both of these gents lead the Arizona Fall League. They're tied for the lead with four home runs each. Welsh, what have you seen from either or both of those names? Yeah, you know, something cool about uh, Matt Mervis, who had just a crazy big power output. One of the things I was a little bit concerned about, and I have um, I have a thing going on on my Patreon as well. Anyone cares about it. It's such an innocuous little thing. But I, I have it. It's called the Arizona Fall League Notebook. And I just have this live Google sheet that I'll be at games, and I'll just live update. And I'll just make goofy notes. Sometimes they're coherent with like stuff you really want to know. And sometimes I'll just put something weird. I'll just be like, why is Adam Mako throwing his curveball so much? And I just do all these things so I can come back and reference. And then at the end, I could just 
you know, sort and get all the notes I wrote about a certain player and look at them through the Arizona Fall League. And um, I was talking about, so I mentioned all of that to say that uh, my deep dives in all these players, I missed some of Matt Mervis last week, but in that week span where he started to have this big power output, zero strikeouts. Because something I've been worrying about was that teams were attacking him lower in the zone, like Spencer Torkelson. And Spencer Torkelson, some of these big power hitters, teams want to attack them below their knees because they want to be so hyper-aggressive and they want to get the bat up front and they want to uppercut it. And if they don't have great extension, it's something that Torkelson has was his book in college. And I saw happen from the Arizona Fall League to every single step of the way, and it's just never adjusted and got worse. I was kind of worried about that with Matt Mervis. Matt Mervis settled in pretty nice, and he started launching bombs. And what's interesting about it is Heston Kerstead is on like another level right now. Uh, Frank, I don't know if you were even prepared for this. Is, are you going to play? Yeah, there oh, it I is, got baby. It. Yeah, Frank, <laughs> Frank is such a dang pro, it makes me sick. Heston <laughs> Kerstead, to start off my week, did this right here if you're watching. Bam, you hear that? That's the sound of what is going to be an inside the park home run. It bounced off the top of the wall. He's rounding second. You can hear his teammates. They realize he's going right there and boom, under. So he didn't show off great speed necessarily, but show great power that none of these guys could pick up, hit right off the top of the wall. You see this beautiful left-handed swing where he just jolts his front foot right into the plate turns because he knows he can attack with his bat speed and he does and he's got insane raw power it's actually relatively impressive speed if anyone is watching on the video side which i highly suggest you do uh checking out the fantasy baseball today youtube channel you guys can watch these live and you can see these videos when we're doing it it's just beautiful just textbook swing that's out there but what's so different about these two players is as aggressive as mervis was He's come off of it. Hester Kersa is one of the most aggressive players I've ever seen. He also, I think, is second. I think he's second in strikeouts in the league. And he also has a whole bunch of walks. He's become this all or nothing player. It is big hits. That game, by the way, that inside the park was how he started the day. He ended up going four for five. He was four for four into his final at bat. And he hit these great singles that probably all had 100 EV. And he hit them. This is something I noted in my notebook. In spots that if teams were able to shift, I think would really affect him, they will not be. And right where he hits, he's a pull side hitter. I think he's going to have an extra advantage from the shift not being in there with a beautiful swing and power that I boosted Heston Kerstead up quite a bit. But it's just him and Mervis are just very different players. And Kerstead is going to be one of those dudes that is going to like strike out probably 150 plus times. He might have a 260 batting average. I really do think Mervis is going to go through some bad swings and spells, but I think he'll have a better batting average. And um, it's, it's, it's pretty nice. It's pretty nice. Also saw your boy, Edward Julian tonight, by the way, <gasps> who hit a rocking double and he looked amazing, but I just wanted to throw that in. Cause Scott, you're getting excited about Mervis. Yeah. Scott has this grin on his face. I can't tell if it's just because we're generally talking about Mer- Matt Mer- Mervis or you have something that you'd like to contribute. I, f- I feel good for you, Frank, <laughs> because in the Scott white dynasty league two years ago, right? The year before, before this past one, yeah. um, you drafted Heston Kirstad with your your first ever minor league pick in that league. And <laughs> I sure did. About, <laughs> you've been wishing you had never said. So I feel good that at least in the Welsh's eyes, uh, Heston Kirstad is <laughs> is uh, getting his stock back up. Yeah, I appreciate that because there would be times where you know Scott and I would finish up a podcast and I, we would just be talking about the the dynasty league, and I'm just like. <laughs> 
man, I've got Hesse Kierstad. What am I going to do with this guy? Like, what a waste of a pick. And does not feel that way right now. So I'm feeling pretty good. And I think anyone else who has him in Dynasty, you should feel pretty good about him as well. Should you know, we- fun fact, I just want to throw out. I'm sorry, you're in the yep. transition. In that game, Cal Conley with the Atlanta Braves hit a inside the park homer two innings later. And I believe it is 100% the first time it's ever happened in the Arizona Fall League. And I still haven't seen, don't know if it's ever happened in the minor leagues or even in the majors. If you've had two players in one game on the same team hit an inside the, poke, uh, inside the park home run. And those two did an interview after the game and they were quite on cloud nine with uh, two inside the park homers. His was not the same as Kirstead's, but it was a very, very weird game. And uh, I just thought that was a cool little note. No, that, that's awesome for sure. I was going to ask you, uh, are we excited about a Nick Gonzalez and what he's done so far? In fact, uh, I'm going to pair these. They play for different teams, but middle infield prospects together, Nick Gonzalez and Jackson Merrill of the Padres. Gonzalez is nine for 33. He's hit two home runs, two doubles and a triple. But I know the offensive production wasn't great this past season in the minors. Uh, Jackson Merrill, 15 for 45. He's batting 356, one homer, one double, two triples and a steal. Welsh, talk to me about those two, Gonzalez and Merrill. Yeah, and so Nick is the one that it hurts me a lot because he doesn't look he doesn't look great here. It's just I don't know any other way to put it. Uh, striking out a bunch, he's super frustrated. He did hit a homer, I believe, in that same game that really I think hopefully broke it back up. He needed it's a beautiful swing. Um, I, his old uh, college right here, boom. New Mexico State uh, jumped on my tweet because I think everyone was happy for him. He killed this one and rocked it. And you can hear his teammates. Hear that? Those guys were happy because he had been on the struggle bus. Here's my problem. He is chasing everything. He is all over the place. Pitch recognition is rough. It's rough. For, I, I watched him at New Mexico State in person, uh, actually against Torkelson. He has got some of the best bat speed I'd ever seen in the minors. That bat speed is kind of gone. I mean, you can see it on display on that home run right there. It's like a flick of the wrist, and he puts that over the wall. I was going to say what the, he can the, do. The swing looks so short. I was like, how did this ball get out? It was it was such yeah. a short swing. So. It was a no-doubter, yeah. too. And when you saw it, it was an absolute no-doubter. You could see my camera just immediately turning because it we felt it. But the problem is is he looks um, he looks really lost as far as where the bat's going. He's swinging at pitches all over. Fastballs are getting him. Off-speed stuff is killing him. And Jackson Merrill's on the completely different path right now. Jackson Merrill is so locked in, hit his first homer uh, in the same game, I think, as well. Or maybe I'm comparing. I've been at, I was at Peoria two straight days, but I got Jackson Merrill's first home run, which uh, I think I moved pretty quick on it. You can see I was already going. Um, pretty beautiful swing. He's been one of the hottest hitters here. He would Walking into this, or Monday, he was leading the AFL in hits overall. And uh, the power has always been a little bit of a question in my mind, but this is the first time I'm starting to see him use a power approach swing because he can kind of hit across his body a whole lot. He was a singles machine. He can hit some doubles. He flies around the bases, but it looks like he's really started to take this Arizona Fall League as an approach to hit for more power. And I think that's awesome. And I think he's on a whole nother trajectory right now. And you can maybe see why the Padres decided to not move off of him when they had, uh, you know, probably was being involved in some of the trades. It, James Wood and him were like best friends, by the way. I remember they were both rehabbing and James Wood was playing and Jackson Merrill had a broken wrist or whatever. And he was like in the stands watching James. They were great friends. And he's the one left behind. But he's the kind of complete total package. Also a big guy that's going to develop into more power. Hit six homers last year. Uh, I think these guys are in the different trajectory. I've got Nick Gonzalez higher right now. 
I'm going to tell you though, by the end of this Arizona Fall League, I got a few things I want to really pay attention to both of them. But I don't, not that you need to care about the stats because you really shouldn't. I get to ask this question like a gajillion times. Like, should we care about the stats? No, but you want to watch for stuff. And I want to watch what what is Nick Gonzalez doing? Is Nick Gonzalez swinging at every off speed pitch and doesn't know what's coming? Is Jackson Merrill taking a power approach that might affect his his power or his batting average? And I need to pay attention to those things. I think by the end of the Arizona Fall League, Jackson Merrill's going to jump Nick Gonzalez for me, even though I am a huge, huge Nick Gonzalez stan. I really love the guy. It just it, it uh, doesn't look good. In a little bite-sized clip, it looks fun. But as a whole, seeing him uh, many, many days, he's been rough. He's been really, really rough. Scott, after hearing that analysis of Nick Gonzalez and what he did this past season in the minors, would you use this as an opportunity to buy low or maybe just stay away? Uh, it depends how low. You know, it just, it yeah. just depends. I know that's not a very <laughs> enticing answer. Like his stock has fallen, and it's fallen. I, I think in a way that's that's reasonable. And I'm not a hundred percent sure he's going to be in my top 100 prospects for for 2023. So mm, it hurts. Uh, yeah, I mean, and, and last year he was I, borderline top 30. So that's how much his his stock has fallen. If he's if he's a guy who's going to strike out a lot though, that kind of undermines the main thing he's supposed to be good at. All right. Well, whenever I bring up pitchers, I usually ask you about Kumar Rocker. I am not going to ask you about Kumar Rocker today. Mm -hmm. Instead, two performances that really stood out to me. Connor Thomas, who you already mentioned, he had a start where he went four innings, one run, 10 strikeouts to one walk. And Joey Wentz, who we did see up in the second half with the Tigers, and he actually did put together some intriguing starts he went four shutout, one hit, two walks, eight strikeouts in that one. And I know it's pretty hard to pitch effectively in the AFL. Is there anything to see with these two, Connor Thomas and Joey Wentz? I, I wish I was at the Joey Wentz. I think he said two starts. I, I unfortunately did not see them. Uh, one fun note was in one of his starts, Alan Trammell with the Tigers came and spent some time talking with him. And Spencer Torkelson came and was in the crowd uh, hanging out, probably rooting on some of those guys. So you've got like big league, you know, coaching out there to um, to work with Wentz. Wentz is the most advanced pitcher that's out here. I mean, there's a guy with major league time. I think he's on another step in another level above plus none of the teams had really seen him for the first week or two so I, I, I wish I had more analysis I'm definitely trying to get a start I will tell you uh, someone uh, talked to him that I know and asked him about you know being out here and he essentially was like the minute he gets his innings whatever those are he's gone so I'm not <laughs> sure Joey Wentz is out here for long same thing happened to Jordan um, uh, Jordan Wicks uh, I'm completely drawing a blank our, um, am I saying it right our uh, Cardinals pitcher Jordan Lever, <laughs> Jordan, Jordan Hicks, Jordan 104 Hicks. Mile, did I say 104 miles an hour? Jordan Hicks. Hicks. Jordan Hicks, yeah. Jordan, yeah. Thank you. I, I was so close, guys. No one could pick me up here. My brain completely shut down. Jordan Hicks was out here last year, pitched three games, was gone, and never came back. And I think that'll happen to Wentz. Connor Thomas, I think more of an anomaly. Uh, the team was just striking out left and right. He's an under six-foot pitcher. I was at this start, and he was just burying, burying, breaking pitches that a lot of these guys are just chasing a lot of breaking pitches. There's a hyper aggression that's out here sometimes uh, or sometime. But Connor Thomas, I think it's a 20, he's a 24 year old with a high ERA. He's under six foot. It's going to be impossible for him to be a starter. He's fun and all, but um, I don't think there's too much there outside of showing how aggressive this league is. It, they did say it was the first time a pitcher had struck out 10 in the Arizona Fall League since 2014. So it kind of was a feat. Yeah, I don't want to overreact too much to the Joey Wentz thing, 
but he's actually been serviceable in the minors. And again, he put together some starts. So if you play in a deeper dynasty league, a deeper head to head points dynasty league, you know, maybe uh, try and acquire Joey Wentz on the cheap. Uh, what are you laughing at, Scott? If you play in a 2014 yeah, basically. points dynasty league like Frank does. <laughs> Playing an AL only 30 points league. Yeah, you, you know, that, like, yeah. you know, Joey Wentz is the guy for you. I, I may or may not have searched his name up immediately once I saw this start. And uh, unfortunately, he's already rostered <laughs> in the Skyway Dynasty League. So can't really do much about that. Uh, before we wrap up last week, Welsh gave out his favorite horror movies here. Month of October. Halloween is coming very fast. Uh, I did watch 28 Days Later, Welsh. So I thought I'd uh, report back to you. Um, and? It was cool. I liked it. The concept was very good. I think it's hard for me to really appreciate when the movie came out because there's been so many zombie things that have come out since then. Like, I don't watch uh, The Walking Dead re- religiously. I watch like the first two seasons and I'm like, ah, eh, this isn't really for me. So I stopped watching. But I think if I had seen 28 Days Later before this other kind of like but all the zombie stuff came in, I think I would appreciate it even more. But it was good it, and it had a really good concept. So I, I enjoyed it. It doesn't sound like it was that good. It sounds like you're placating to make us feel good. It doesn't sound like somebody enjoyed it as much. No, but does that mean? I would. Does that make sense though? Like, a stra- didn't it take a very strange turn at the end? Like the it did. It, it moved like movie. Yeah, you were like completely into zombies the whole time. Which, by the way, I think from a realism factor, it played so well into everything. And Cillian Murphy's amazing. But to your point, it went from like zombie survival, 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 and then it was like bad military like military yeah. has taken them and that was yeah, a that, weird thing that did happen yeah right. I, like, I, I remember really liking the first 75 percent, but then the end is just like yeah that was a weird but like all zombie things this. the people end up becoming the villains yeah. like all zombie things and that's right. what they encapsulized in a movie yeah, yeah. I, I actually did legitimately enjoy it but i think the main point was that uh maybe i couldn't appreciate it as much as you did like if you watched it back in the day when it first came out um well you can go watch 20 weeks 28 weeks later now the, i uh, follow up <laughs> with tim roth yeah i kind of really hated the ending i was like this is kind of cliffhangerish. like i guess i need to watch 28 weeks later so I, i'll have to do that at some point uh and i also watch halloween ends have you watched it yet either of you no isn't that the I've, <laughs> I, I think i've heard is that the new one that came out yeah all I've heard is it's uh, the worst movie that's ever been made. So I haven't watched it. Uh, you know what? I don't know that it's <laughs> that's, worse that's than Frank's wheelhouse, though. I... <laughs> what do you mean by that, Scott? No, are you, know t- are exactly you taking a little Adam on with you? Is that, uh, are you going to say that you liked it? No, no, no. I was going to say, <laughs> right. you know, I don't think it's as bad as the previous Michael Myers movie that came out like <laughs> last year. They're just pumping these things out left and right. Uh, I think they're both pretty bad, and I, I don't really condone watching any of them, but. Uh, yeah, that that's me trying to get into the Halloween spirit, watching all these uh, horror movies, I guess you could call them, and whatever. It was it was pretty bad, but I thought I would report back, and, and that's my analysis of, of both movies, so I hope you enjoyed it. For Scott and the Welsh, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again on Tuesday. Bye-bye. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus. 